Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. And um, I want to go back to the message I was going to speak two weeks ago, and now I'm back on track. Or it was three weeks ago because I missed a week. <clears throat> but anyway, but um, how many of you would agree that um, we're in stormy weather in our world today? You know, there's just storms everywhere, aren't there? Um, and I don't know that there's anywhere you can go that you can escape storms today. Um, war in Ukraine, I mean, all these sorts of things. Um, climate change right here, you don't have to go any further than Overton to figure that one out. You just look at, I remember 20 years when I ago when I used to come out here, Lake Mead was real close. Now it's way down the road a ways. So many different things are going on. And then there's personal storms in our life too. Now I've got to be careful today because I got fancy uh, when I discovered you had this clicker here. And, um, but if you were here two weeks ago when I was here, I, st- I wasn't looking at my clicker. And um, so I hit the wrong button and we had to go take a time out here. And then... I found out that when we got back up and running here, because I had hit the wrong button, those that watch it at home, it never came back up for them. So I'm going to have to make sure I don't hit the button below when I hit this one here today. The other thing, when I was putting this together, um, I realized that the background I put in there, it's not your cataracts acting up. It's a darker background. So when I build these things, I need to... um, put them on a brighter background. So anyway, bear with me today. And I want us to look at how to storm-proof your life. Uh, We can't really avoid storms, can we? But there are certain things we can do that can make a difference. And the text I've chosen comes out of Matthew chapter 7. You can just follow along as I read this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. had a good visual on that on television this week. I was watching some... some news show or something, and they had a big storm back on the East Coast. And did you see those houses that were literally swept out to sea? I mean, they were gone in one storm. And so storms are going to come. We can be storm ready. That's really what this parable is all about, being storm ready in our life. You don't want to build your house and build your life in a way that is susceptible to those storms where they can just blow you away, literally. It's not if, but it is when storms are going to come. Don't you wish we could predict them a little better? 
I mean, our lives are no better than the weathermen, are they? I mean, you just have to wait and see what the, you know, I've been waiting for the prediction to be no wind in Las Vegas now for some time, but it seems like it keeps coming up all the time. But there are things you can do to prepare yourself. No one is storm exempt. But there are things you can do that will help you to avoid some storms in life. If you just live your life foolishly, carelessly, in a uh, haphazard sort of way, you're going to have storms that are going to hit your life that you could have avoided. We'll get to some of those in just a second. There are things you can do that can mitigate the storms so that you can control the storm damage in your life. So there are things we can do that can help us through the storms, and that's what I want us to look at today. Jesus is telling us very clearly here, you can't avoid the storms. But he's giving us some insight in how we can storm-proof our lives so the storms don't wash us away. So we're going to take this parable and we're going to look at it upside down here, first of all. Jesus ends this parable, that I just read it for you, with how not to build. Don't build on the sand. So let's take a look for just a few moments here at some of the things not to do in our lives. These are just, these are just storm maintenance things we can engage in that are going to help us out. There are certain things that we neglect. We neglect priorities in our life. There's spiritual neglect. Now I'm taking this out of Matthew chapter 7. Here, no, excuse me, Matthew chapter 22. And here's the first part of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. There's no shortage of people in our country today that would say, yes, I suppose I'm a Christian. But God is really on the periphery of their life. He's more like a genie, that if you rub the bottle, the genie will come out and you can call on him to help you through your problems or your difficulties, whatever those might be. But that's not how God designed us to live. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the mistake of Adam and Eve, especially Eve first, but Adam was right there with her, Oh, I, I just was politically incorrect right there, wasn't I, you know? Oh, well. <laughs> Their temptation was that they could be like God themselves, knowing good and evil. Problem is, God did not design us to be freestanding in that way. We're just not amped to figure it all out in our life, and God wants us to rely on Him. Am I the only one here that sometimes feels a little bit guilty? I mean, God's got all of these problems to deal with worldwide. And I've got my own little issues. And sometimes when I'm taking my prayer walk around Tule Springs, which is kind of my prayer route, two laps around Tule Springs, and I've covered my required prayer list, and I'll bring in some personal things there, and I, and, I, and I almost think, Lord, and I've said this many times, I know you've got a lot 
bigger things to be concerned about. But you asked us to bring our needs to you. And he wants us to live in that kind of dependence upon him. It's a spiritual priority in our life. The second one here is social neglect. And here's the rest of that verse that comes out of Matthew 22. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God wants us, he's designed us to live first of all with him first and foremost. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But he's also did not designed us to live in relationship with other people. To love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have figured out the mystery of the Trinity yet? That's a real mind bender for us as Christians, isn't it? But you know, there is a lesson here that speaks just exactly to what I'm trying to say right now. God himself has chosen not to live and built himself. Although he always was, so I guess he never was built. He was always built already, right? But God himself finds completeness living in relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. And if God himself requires relationship to be fully who he is, then why would we be any different? We neglect sometimes our neighbors, those around us. Sometimes there's people in marriages where they're like at war with each other all the time. That doesn't enrich anybody's life, does it? So there is neglect that can weigh in and be part of a faulty foundation that we live on. There's vocational neglect. God has given all of us a mission in life. We are created and designed, built for mission for work. Even when we get to eternity, it's not an eternal vacation. We're going to rule and reign with Christ, is what Scripture tells us. Now, I pulled this out of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, he's talking about spiritual gifts, but there's another section here that I, I, it just caught my eye when I was reading through it this week. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. If we are on mission, if we are on task for who it is and what it is God has kept, uh, called us to do, that's going to keep us in line and avoiding some of those pitfalls and mistakes and storms we might fly, we might fly into in our life. What's the mission in your life? As long as you draw breath, God has a mission for you and for me, for every one of us. You know, I learned a lesson this week on a newscast I was watching. It was comparing China and the U.S. and our work ethics. 
Now, I'm no big pro-China guy, let me tell you. But one of the things that this analyst was saying is that we have lost our sense of mission in our country. This wasn't a religious program. We're looking for how much time we can get off in the late great state of California. They're now trying to reduce to a four-day work week. They already tried that in France. In China, they're working till 3 a.m. in the morning. And what he was saying in these economic wars that are underway, if we as a country don't realize that there is beauty and work and vocation and mission and doing what we're doing, that we're going to slip further behind. Well, that's not exactly a spiritual parallel there, but it makes a important lesson for every one of us there's a, vi- a mission in life and if we neglect that no vocational calling that's something that can leave us vulnerable to a storm that comes slamming into our life there are three follies let me mention this quickly the first one is the folly of instant gratification boy we're good at this one in our country right now aren't we Somebody else has called it uh, being subject to the kingdom of thingdom. We want it and we want it now. Now I have always admired, and I've told Cherie this many times, I admire the patience that she has. She got it from her dad, who was one of the most patient people you would ever meet. And this is my bad completely. But do you know, she waited for, and she, this is no secret, she tells people this all the time. She waited for me for five and a half years before I'd agreed to marry her. Now that's bad on me, let me tell you. I don't think I was worth waiting for five and a half years for But she waited. I hope it was worth it. But patience that's there. And one of the follies is instant gratification. Am I the only one in this room that is impatient? Or building for the future? And building it slowly. We moved into a house last year when we moved back to Vegas. And it was a nice house. We really like it. But you know, in that, in that buying climate, you, you, I don't know if it was this way here in Overton or not, you actually, we actually had to bid for the house. And we saw it for a half hour before we bought it. And ever since then, I've been finding all the little honeydews I need to take care of to get that house where we both want it to be. Just moving too quickly has created a lot of work and a lot of extra expense. So there's that instant gratification. A second thing, make sure I hit the right button here, financial mismanagement. We're in a heap of trouble as a country right now. And how many of you is it starting to hit you at home now, the inflation? Anybody else besides me? Yeah. Now, there are things in Scripture that are very clear about telling us how we are to manage our money. 
You're not to be caught up in buying things, impulse buying, all this kind of thing that is there. And if you, if you can manage your money biblically and correctly, it's going to save you a lot of fret, a lot of worry, a lot of storm clouds that come into your life. Making sure you don't overspend. And following biblical principles. How many of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey here? And, and boy, he gives great insight in how we can manage our money. He's a Christian man. And God does, I believe, want us to prosper and to succeed and for the material things we have and the wealth we have to be a blessing. But when we overextend and overspend, it creates crisis and problems within our life. So don't engage in financial mismanagement. Take inventory of that in your life and apply biblical principles there. And then the third thing is personal abuse. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I've got bad news. It got worse when I was checking some information this morning just in making my final preparations for the message. You know, about four years ago... um, I'm picking on American males here, but the same is true of females, what's happening. About four years ago, the average lifespan of the American male was 80. And the American female woman was 82. We've been slipping. And I thought it was bad. I wanted to double check on it. So I double checked it this morning. In the last two years, two years have been clipped off the life expectancy of American males. And then I really got depressed because I'm getting pretty close to the next number. There's one study out that says the average life expectancy of the American male is now down to 74. And women are down under 80 now. Now it's not as bad as it seems. If you make it to 60 or 70, there's a good chance you'll make it into your 80s. But what is pulling it down is all the substance abuse of younger adults in our country today. I believe I heard this, maybe you, some of you heard it, that fentanyl is the number one cause of death of young Americans in our nation today. That pulls the whole thing down. Now that's going to bring a storm of sickness, of disease, and shortness of life. So that kind of abuse. You know, when you're young, I remember when I was as young as this young guy right here, and you know, you're going to live forever, aren't you? It just hasn't occurred to you. That there's any end. Wasn't that fun? How many remember when you were 20 years old and not only did you think you were immortal, but you knew everything too? See? Oh, your mom's pointing to you right now. Okay? The older you get, the more that, the more that changes. But as you, as you take care of yourself now, and we'll get to that in a second, it's going to help It'll avoid some storms. It will delay other storms. The other thing that can happen is a storm can transform you. And I'm going to say something about that in just a moment as well. So these three follies. Now, let's get to the positive news. 
building on the rock. These are things that every one of us, young and old, and the younger this sinks in, the better off you're going to be as you grow older. If you build on the rock, your life can withstand the storms. There are spiritual disciplines here. This is where it starts. There's two authors. Um, if any of you are readers, you might, these books are not brand new. One of them's written by a Quaker. His name was Richard Foster. Is he's still alive? And he wrote a book that became a bestseller a number of years ago. It was called the um, Celebration of the Disciplines. And then there's another one who's more recent. His name is Dallas Willard. And his is Spiritual Disciplines. And the point of both of these, and and they're not the first ones, they're not the ones who have invented this. If we can discipline ourselves in these areas of life, it's going to really make a qualitative difference in how we live and how we can navigate through the storms that blow through in our lives. The first of these, oh no, I did it. Oh, I got it back. Thank you. I hit. Oh, it's not me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Daily devotions, prayer, and Bible reading. This is not new. This is not a revelation to any of you. But I'm telling you, vitally important to take time to read your Bible every day. Maybe it's only ten minutes. Maybe it's a half hour. I. Just for what it's worth, every morning there are two chapters out of the Old Testament, starting with Genesis. I'm just talking about my own regimen. My wife has hers. They have these daily daily reading Bibles that you can take you a year to get through it. The second is one chapter out of the wisdom literature. That's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job. Then a chapter out of the New Testament. That just puts the right emphasis. Some of it's hard. I'm reading through Joshua and Judges and it makes me feeling awfully militant now. (laughs) Boy, uh, they were pretty tough on on those Canaanites, weren't they? And then prayer. Sometimes, I want to keep moving along here, but you know, the problem with being... A preacher that doesn't get a chance to preach very much is I keep interrupting myself because I have these new flashes from heaven, I think, that just flashed into my, 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 my mind. Uh, sometimes it just seems like the prayers are going nowhere. And then have you ever noticed it? I want a show of hands on this one. All of a sudden, there is a breakthrough that comes. And you know that was an answer to a prayer you've been praying for a long time. How many of you had that happen? Those, those daily devotions are so important. We had a birthday party at our house yesterday. And we had a granddaughter. And I, I'm, she's just gone through a lot. Her, her dad is really a great man doing great things. But he, had, he sowed his wild oats. And he had a marriage that just didn't work out. They had one child and this granddaughter that I've been praying for and praying for. She was taken away by her biological mother, who's a drug addict. And she was exposed to drugs. She was exposed to neglect. 
Uh, she uh, disappeared where her dad couldn't even, uh, didn't even know where, he, where she was, lost all contact with her for two or three years. Praying every day for this. Last November, I got a call from the Child Protective Services saying, are you Paul Stewart's father? And Paul was just beside himself, but he'd pretty much written this off. Long story short, the the Child Protective Services had taken this granddaughter, Grace is her name, from her home and put her in a foster home and put her mother in prison. And the question was, do you want to take your daughter back? And so she's back with us now. And we had a birthday party with her yesterday, a swimming party. She's never had one of those. She's been left alone, locked up in rooms. Uh, she, this, she, we take her to school. Uh, Cherie does every morning. And she, Cherie asked the three little girls, the three sisters there, what they were thankful for. And Grace said, I'm just thankful I'm living with people that don't make me take drugs anymore. Wow. But prayer makes that kind of difference. Corporate worship. I've got to keep moving. I don't know if this thing flashing on off means it's going to go down or not, but we'll keep going, and then I'll just completely wing it without pictures if we get too far down the road here. All right, corporate worship. That's what we're doing right now. You know, Bible study groups that you meet. There is something, it's not magic, it's supernatural that happens when people come together in faith and worship the Lord. Right now, the Holy Spirit is among us, and it's my prayer and my hope that something that is said in this message, the Holy Spirit is going to use to make a point in your life. Maybe it was when we were singing those worship songs together, and you feel something happening inside. And then the Bible study. You know, I'm all for Zoom and all of these things. I am so thankful for that technology. But I haven't quite yet figured out whether it takes the place, and I don't think it does, of coming together in the flesh and joining together with worship with the people of God. There's help, there's support, um, there's encouragement, there's correction, all sorts of things that happen. The third thing, meditation. I'm just learning to appreciate this one myself. Just having a quiet time. Where I'm not giving the Lord my shopping list. But I'm listening to what he's putting in my thoughts and my mind. Sometimes just very soft worship music can help in that. Sometimes it's just when I take my walks. I'll say this sometimes. Lord, you know all the needs I have. I just want to think about you right now. Jesus did that when he went out into the wilderness. It was a time for meditation and listening for the word of God in his life. And study. Not just scripture, but the times in which we live. Being aware of what's going on. There's just so much great Writings, magazines, books that have been published, YouTube things that are wonderful, inspirational, and helpful in our life. 
I think it was Socrates who said one time, the unexamined life is hardly worth living. Well, he was a Greek philosopher, but there was some good wisdom that was there also. So those spiritual disciplines are important. A healthy lifestyle, mentally. Make sure that you're keeping your life your mind active and engaged, that you're a constant learner. An active mind is what keeps your mind healthy, physically as well. Do you know, here's another stat. Uh, I came across this one two or three years ago that was interesting. There are two groups of people in the United States that have markedly longer lifestyles than any other group of people in our country. Anybody have a guess on what one of them might be? You're surrounded by them here in Overton. Mormons. And the other one are the Seventh-day Adventists. And it it, it makes sense in terms of some of the care, particularly with diet and those sorts of things they have. Here's the bad news. Do you know that Pentecostal and Assemblies of God people are slightly below the national average in life expectancy. Now, one of the reasons for that is we've kind of picked and chosen what um, dissipations we might participate in. Uh, We kind of like gluttony. Boy, you you want to draw a crowd in a Pentecostal church? Give them food. They will come. And we can declare war on that one ourselves, can't we? Making sure we watch what we eat, that we exercise. We got a little too caught up in second coming-itis a generation ago. And since the rapture was right around the corner, we just didn't take care of our bodies the way we should have. Not everybody, but you get the point of what I'm trying to make. A healthy lifestyle, relationally. A lifestyle as well is an important and a healthy thing to do. These are important things you can do to mitigate some of those storms or avoid some of those storms of physical breakdown and collapse altogether. Pursuit of wisdom. I'm kind of consolidating the stretch out of uh, Second Chronicles here. God said to Solomon... Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, but for wisdom and knowledge, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor. You know, there was, it was almost a cult in ancient Israel. I, I, Cult is the wrong word. I'm going to call it a sect in ancient Israel that personified wisdom. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. And chokmah is a feminine word. That ma on the end is what makes it a feminine term. And when you read through the book of Proverbs, if you look, With this thought in mind, wisdom was almost 
personified by many in Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that the Trinity should become a quadrinity. They didn't have a Trinity in those days in the Old Testament. They weren't aware of it yet. That was before Christ came. But this pursuit of wisdom, one of my favorites when I get to it in my devotional readings, is I always love it when I start in on the Proverbs. There's wisdom. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is this. Knowledge is data. It's facts. It's information. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But wisdom is the proper and best application of that knowledge that is there. And if you seek wisdom in your life, and you ask God for wisdom in the decision that you have before you, in, you know, whatever the crisis is, God is going to guide you in wisdom in that area of your life. Now, weathering the storms. Last thing we'll look at here today. How do we weather these storms? So those that I just mentioned, those are some of the foundations we can build upon. Here's some of the things we can do practically when the winds are howling and the rain's pounding in our life. Learn the secret and practice the secret of contentment. This is Paul writing. Now, just a little bit about the Apostle Paul. If you read in 2 Corinthians 11, you just read about all of the hardships he endured. He ran into one storm after another. Shipwreck, was it five times? How many times did he have the 39 lashes? It was 39 instead of 40 because 40 could kill a man, but 39, usually they could live it. He was in hunger. He was in... Danger, he was in sickness, on and on it goes. In prison, on it went. And through all of that, this is what he said, I've learned the secret of being content. In the middle of the storm, there is the presence of God and the Spirit of God that will navigate you through it if you keep your eyes on the Lord and not on the circumstances around about you. This is another one that I struggle with sometimes. Maybe you do too. Is that secret of contentment. But it's an amazing thing that God can give us that peace and He can give us that resource to see us through it. Look for the silver lining. There's always a silver lining. Remember this. There is no storm that hits your life even if it's a self-induced storm that catches God by surprise. And there's no storm that God can't turn into something amazing and turn it around even to your advantage. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now here's some of the silver lining. It might be a new season in life. I bring this one up because this is exactly what Cherie and I are going through right now. In fact, I'm realizing that last time I spoke, I said, I'm not an old man yet, but I can see it from here. My spirit checked me, and I realized, yes, I am an old man. If I'm only three years away 
from meeting the af- lifetime of how long I'm supposed to live. Okay? Now, one of the hardest things about negotiating a new season of life is realizing I shouldn't do some of the things I used to do. We have a big tree in our yard, and I get out there my eight-foot ladder, and I'm trying to reach up high. And you know what occurred to me the other day? If I fell off that thing, I don't know that I could bounce back up as quickly as I could before. This summer, we're going to Oregon. We've got a 130-year-old house there. It's time to start repainting it. And uh, it's high. And I used to get out the 30-foot ladders and go up to the second story and do all that. I have been informed by my better and smarter and more patient half. I better not dare try that again this year. Okay? Now, I think I could do it, but I'm not so sure anymore. Maybe there is a new season of life that God is leading you into. I've broken it down this way. This is just a little too convenient to be absolute. But your spring of life is ages 0 through 20. Summer in life is 21 through 40. Autumn is 41 through 60. And whether we like it or not, winter starts at 61 and takes you the rest of the way out. Now there are riches and wonderful things in every season of life. One of the great things about being in winter in life is my kids are grown and I can send my grandkids home now. And I, my, my son, has, my middle son, has five kids. And I was talking to him yesterday and I said, And we have five kids. I said to Paul, I said, I don't know how you do it. How do you pay for it all? But they said, well, we just do it one day at a time. He's still in summer in his life. Nice thing about autumn is this is the time of harvest. And sometimes this is the best time. You still have a lot of physical strength. And now you've got a little wisdom to put with it too. And that's a wonderful thing. In winter, sorry, I'm there. It's mostly wisdom that's left now. Okay? You, still got, you still have some energy. There's still some things you can do. But I was thinking the other day, I might want to start snow skiing again. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Well, be ready for a snowstorm if you try it, a blizzard, a new season in life when we recognize and embrace the season we're moving into now. It might be a change of direction. We really, in some ways, and I, and I, I don't mean to be focusing all this on my story, but there are just some things that come to mind. It was a tough decision for us to decide to move back to Las Vegas. We really like Oregon. We have some great friends there. And um, just when we had decided we were going to move back to Oregon, I got a call from the district office from the state of Oregon, the Assemblies of God. And the superintendent there said, Stan, how would you like to become a part of our district leadership team here in Oregon? And the position sounded great. I would be um, the pastor to the pastors, kind of like the chaplain to the pastors. 
I could speak in churches every week. I could do a little interim pastoring, but I could meet with the pastors. He said, you only have to come in one or two days a week. We will pay you full time. And uh, you can still go see your kids in Las Vegas anytime you want. And boy, did that sound good. And then I thought, you know, I've been telling my kids for the last three years, next year, we're moving to Las Vegas to be with you. If I put it off another year, am I going to be glad I did that? Well, I'm glad we didn't. We're here. I just told you about the miracle with our granddaughter that's there, reconnecting with the grandkids. It's a new direction in life. And I think if I had taken what seemed so good, I think there would have been a storm I would have hit in some way. I don't know what it might have been. But you see, sometimes that silver lining is recognizing that God is redirecting you in your life. God may be changing something in you. A good friend of mine, a little older than I am, Ray York. I grew up, when I was a freshman in high school, he was a freshman at Bethany Bible College in those days. Ray has had more storms hit his life than any other single person I know. <clears throat> when he was 16 years old, living in the valley, Escalon, little valley town in California, <clears throat> he had a 16-year-old brother in high school that was drinking and was killed in an automobile accident. It was about two or three years after that, Ray was 18 or 19, his father contracted cancer. It was somehow in his back area, and he died within a year uh, in terrible pain of cancer. Ray was called into the ministry, met a beautiful young woman. Her name was Rosemary. She could sing like an angel. They got married, and they were in ministry together. They had two children, Phil and Laura was the name of their daughter. One day, Rosemary was on her way to a Bible study, and she missed a signal at a railroad track and got hit by a train, and Rosemary and Laura were killed instantly. Ray picked up the pieces, moved on again, met a wonderful lady. Her name was Jeanette. They got married. She got cancer, and she died a couple of years later. Fifteen years ago, Ray was diagnosed with lung cancer. Never smoked a day in his life. Was given six months to live. But he's been battling that for the last 15 years. I spoke to Ray. We call each other two or three times a year. He lives in Watsonville area now. He says, well, I've got another year of life. But then he developed cancer in his leg, and he had to have his leg, his right leg, I think it was, amputated below the knee. But that didn't help much. So eventually, after struggling with it for a couple of years, they had to re-amputate, this time above the knee. Now that is a lot of storm, isn't it? But Ray has the best spirit about it, there's something that has changed inside of Ray. 
And I've told Ray, you're going to be a sermon illustration wherever I go because you're just a great hero of mine. He, he uh, still finds a way to go hunting in the, in the winter. And he, I asked him, I said, I said, Ray, how do you keep such a good attitude through all of this? And he said, well, what good would it do me to complain? But he has a special relationship with the Lord. And God has used that to give him great compassion with other people that are moving through difficulties in their life. And so I don't know what the storm might be that you might be dealing with now, but there are silver linings to it. There are things you can do to build on the rock that are going to navigate you through the storms. And take note of the things in your life that are built on sand. Because that's not going to help you through the storms in your life. The last, uh, uh, keep your eyes on the Lord. This is the last point, but here's the verse that goes with it. This is the story of Peter. When he's on the water and he wants to walk out and meet Jesus. Just let me read these verses. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, Jesus said, why did you doubt? Keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, one thing odd in this story is Jesus is walking on the water. And Jesus announced that he's coming, and Peter said, is it you? Well, who else would be walking out on the water to meet Peter or the other disciples? But don't ever doubt that the Lord is there to meet you. Is it you, Lord? Who else would it be? And he's there for you. Don't get dissuaded by the wind, the circumstances. This is harder said than done. But keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep practicing those things that keep you on the rock. And I promise you, there's nothing that will come your way that you and the Lord together can't tackle and be triumphant over. That's it. The end. I just wonder if there's someone here this morning, and we we don't have to know what it is, but maybe you're going through a stormy season in your life. It's not important that any of us know. But as we close in prayer, you'd just like me to remember you in prayer today. Is there anybody here that you're in a stormy time? Man, this is wonderful. Your son? Okay. Okay. What's his name? Jason? Remember Jason in prayer. Let's stand together. Father, we're